0: here. Good to see you all. Uh, as Mick said, I'm Martin. I'm based in Canterbury. Uh, I've been there for it'll be 20 years in September that I moved to Canterbury. Um, I know, yeah. Uh, I know exactly. I was thinking that. I was talking to. I brought down a Maya. They're friends from the church, and uh, Maya was just telling me that she was born in 2003, which was the year I came to university. <laughs> I didn't think I would be that. So it's good to be amongst you, uh, and uh, good to be here. I actually remember. I, Many years ago, when I was, um, I suppose, stepping into exploring what God had for me and God's call over my life, I came to Beacon Church, to the Beacon Center, to do one of my first ever preaches. Uh, as I was kind of exploring that. So such a privilege to be back uh, and to be amongst you. Uh, I'm married to Catherine. We've got two daughters, Annabeth, nine, and Millie, seven. Uh, and sadly, they're not here this morning. They're at uh, City Church. Just Catherine's got a few things on there this morning. So I brought Dan and Mayer instead. They're my substitute children uh, for the day. Uh, and uh, I'm going to be speaking this morning on the topic of uh, being filled with the Holy Spirit. So, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5. That's where we're going to root ourselves. But we are going to venture through much of Scripture this morning. Uh, And my goal is to speak for a while and then give some time for God to minister amongst us and for God to move. And so, just so you know where we're heading. Um, Now, as I say, as I'm looking at this topic of being filled with the Spirit, I don't know what your reaction is. For some of us in the room, there's a fist pump in the air at last. These are the kind of talks and the kind of moments. This is the reason we come to church. We're experienced in it. We we love these moments, and we're ready. We're ready to go. I don't even need to preach. You're ready to meet with God. For others of us, there may be a fear as you hear that we're looking at that topic. Maybe because of past experience of what you've seen or known and experienced for yourself. Maybe it's just that sense of the unknown. If you're anything like me, I hate the unknown. I can't cope when I feel out of control. And I don't know what's going to happen. And to be honest with you, whenever you are allowing the Lord to move in your life, you've got to embrace the unknown. You know, we are not in control. It is a, it's an illusion that we seem to carry as humans, that we think we are in control. So perhaps it's fear. Maybe it's frustration. Maybe you've been in churches like this for a long time, churches that expect to see God move and act. Maybe you've seen others meet with God and very clearly um, him ministering to them, but you've never felt anything For yourself and your own experience, and as we talk about it, there's a frustration. I'm not this again. I've been here before. I know what this morning holds. Well, wherever you are on that scale, I want to encourage you this morning. Uh, I want to look at some truth that I hope will build us up, and then I want to give God some space to move and act amongst us. But before we dive into the scripture, I just want to lay two very important foundations uh, for us. And so I'm actually going to start in John chapter 14. Uh, You can turn there with me if you wish. Uh, And this is Jesus speaking about the Holy Spirit. And he says these words, uh, John 14, verse 16. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Two quick foundations before we move into looking at being filled with the Spirit and the passage in Ephesians 5 is firstly that when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we are talking about God himself. Notice the language that Jesus uses here where he says, I will ask the Father and he will send to you another helper. Jesus here is basically saying that he and the Holy Spirit are the same. That just as he has been a helper, just as he has been here to uh, speak the truth and to teach people and to draw them towards the kingdom of God. So that is what the Holy Spirit himself will do. When we talk about being filled with the Spirit, we're not talking about like your phones. You need to plug them in, and they need some charge and some juice, and then they can go about their days. Sometimes we can slip into this when we talk about the move of the Spirit and expecting him to move. It's all about this feeling. The Holy Spirit is some kind of electricity uh, that sweeps through. is some kind of presence. Now, he is a person that is God himself that is to be approached with awe and reverence. Too often in the church, that isn't how we see him. We see him as some kind of commodity that we can use to gain that which we want. We turn to him when we want him and when we need him, and we ignore him when we don't. Friends, we want to be those that, the Scripture calls us, to not be those that grieve the Spirit or quench the Spirit, but to be a people of the Spirit that see him as God. But also, he's the Spirit of truth, we see Jesus say here as well, that the Holy Spirit, who is God, means that he is also truth. And so as we come today to meet with the Holy Spirit, we know that one of the main ways that the Spirit of God has spoken and has moved and has revealed to us, God, is through the Word, that the Spirit is the divine author of Scripture. It tells us in 1 Timothy that all Scripture is God-breathed. It's inspired by Him and by Him alone. But He also comes and reveals truth to us today. He might convict us this morning of things in our lives. Jesus says uh, in a couple of chapters after in John 16 that the Spirit will come and convict us of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And so, as we come today, I want us to come with a biblical view that we are approaching God Himself. We're expecting Him to fill us. So, let's read together in Ephesians 5 from verse 18. And it says this Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, and giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul there very clearly writes to the church in Ephesus, and he says to them, don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, I want to do a little bit of a a work before we dive in here, which is ask this question. When Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus, and he's saying to them, be filled with the Spirit, is that because at this moment, the church doesn't have the Spirit? So they're a church, they're a people, they're gathering together, they're learning about the things of Jesus, but they're really lacking, they don't have anything of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul's writing to them to say, look, there's something you lack, there's something you miss, which is the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit and that will empower you to be able to do that which God wants to do in your life. And I think sometimes we can operate with a mindset of there are two types of Christians. There's Spirit-filled Christians, people that have the Spirit, and then there's people that don't. And we can sometimes operate like that, can't we? When we come to talking about baptism in the Spirit or being filled with the Spirit, you will either put yourself in one of two categories, those that have experienced and know the Spirit at work in your life and those that are comparing yourselves to others and going, well, I've never experienced that. I've never fallen over. I've never shaken. I've never felt the things that people seem to talk about when they experience the Spirit. So do I have the Holy Spirit? And I think that's a dangerous starting point for us to begin. So before we get to being filled, I want to look at the dynamic of the fact that for all of us, the amazing truth is that we have the Spirit of God living in us if we are believers. Let me show you that by just journeying through the scriptures very quickly. In Genesis, we see that God creates all things. The creator God, he makes the planets and the stars, he makes the waters, he makes the lands, he makes the animals, he makes the trees, and then he makes humanity. And we see in Genesis 2 verse 7, we see these words, Uh, I think it's going to come up there, is the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. What's really interesting as you read through the Genesis account is there's two things that make humanity distinctive to the rest of creation. The first is we're made in the image of God. That's why we care about people. That's why we believe that every single human that lives deserves dignity and honor and value because we are the image bearers of God. But secondly, it's this, that we had breathed into us the breath of life. Now, that word breath in Hebrew can be interchanged with spirit. And so you see here that there is this dynamic right at the start, a distinctive of humanity was that we were those that could know the spirit of life in us. But if you know your Bibles, you know that sadly the Bible doesn't end in Genesis chapter 2. It'd be a very short book if all it was was God made humanity, put them in the garden, they enjoyed perfect relationship with him, the end. The rest of the Bible wouldn't be needed. But Genesis 3 comes along and we see in Genesis 3 that that's when the fall happens. When humanity, who have all of these blessings and these joys and enjoying God, decide actually we think we know better We think we know better than God. In fact, we want to be equal with God. That was the temptation that came to eat from the tree. Now, that has carried on. That's the root of all sin in all of us, is that we think we know better, and we think we want to be equal with God. When you boil down to every struggle in your life, everything you do that doesn't align to the will of God, it will come down to that right deep down that we think we know better. I hear what you're saying, God, but I've got a better idea. I think I should do this. That's how we operate and how we tick. And because of that, we see that humanity was separated from God. We were cast out of the Garden of Eden. But God doesn't let sin have the final word. God is a God that is better, bigger, stronger than all of our failures and all of our mistakes. And that is the thread of Scripture. And so we see God launches a rescue plan. And he launches this rescue plan. He calls Abraham to himself, and he says, through you, I'm going to create a people. And uh, then through Abraham, he has a, a son of promise called Isaac. Through Isaac, then he has Jacob. Through Jacob, he has Joseph. And then through Joseph, the people of Israel do start to come. They base themselves in Egypt. They grow to being a very big, there's millions of them in the people. And we see that then they end up going into slavery. And that's where Moses appears. God calls him. Moses is used by God to bring the people out of slavery. But the reason that God brings them out of slavery is so that they can come into relationship with him. That was God's heart. Even at the beginning, when sin came in, God made a promise in Genesis chapter 3 that, yeah, you know, the, the serpent may bite the hill, but the, the one that comes will crush the serpent's head. Because his goal was always reconciliation and relationship. But what's really interesting, and this is what it says in Exodus 19, verse 21, is once God has brought the people out of slavery and brought them into relationship with him, they come to Mount Sinai and it says the presence of God is going to come. There's this real exciting moment, but it says this, the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people lest they break through to the Lord to look and many of them perish. So what we see in the Old Testament is actually this, that God dwelt near the people. That's the story of the Old Testament, that these people were brought out of slavery to enjoy a relationship with him. But because of our sin and our imperfections and our failures, we could be near God, but actually, he was unapproachable. If the people went near and touched the mountain, they would die, is what God said. His very presence was something that we couldn't come near. You see that throughout the Old Testament, when they built the tabernacle. When the presence of God would fall, the people of God would retreat. You see it with the temple. When they built the temple, the place where the presence of God would dwell, they put a big curtain up to say that, listen, the Holy of Holies, only one person can go in there at one time in the year, and that was the high priest. And even then, they went in with uh, bells and pomegranates tied around their robes so that people knew that they were still alive as they were moving around because the presence of God was such a fearful place to be. The Ark of the Covenant, which represented the presence of God, you saw that when it started to fall from the Ark and a guy called Uzzah tries to save it, he dies because he approached in the wrong way. The Old Testament is a story of where God dwelt near but was unapproachable. And then we read these incredible words in John 1, 14. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We see that in Jesus, God went from dwelling near to dwelling among. God himself came. The presence of God came and dwelt among the people. And what is incredible is when you look through the Old Testament, you see that God's presence was near but unapproachable. Jesus, when he dwelt amongst the people, made the presence of God approachable for all. Jesus was the one that would go and he would meet with people. He would seek people out. He would meet with sinners and with good people. He would meet with rich and with poor. He would allow the sick to touch him and be healed. Jesus brought the presence of God, the kingdom of God, the love of God close to people. No longer near and unapproachable, but near and close. But that was never the kind of end of the story. God's plan was not just that his presence would go from being near to unapproachable to being near and close. Actually, God's intent was always that we would see his presence dwelling in us, that God would live within us. We see this promise in Ezekiel, years before Jesus came, 36, 27, it says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And we read this in John 14, as we just read earlier, verses 16 to 17, but at the end it says this, you know him, talking about the spirit, why? For he dwells with you and will be in you. That's the promise that Jesus has given us, is that God himself will live in us. Friends, if you are a believer here today, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit, is what the Bible teaches. That means that God lives in you. The Spirit of God lives in us. And so for the people in Ephesus that Paul's writing to, going back to that first question, have they got the Spirit, or is Paul telling them you need the Spirit? Well, they have the Spirit. How do we know that? Well, Ephesians 5 verse 1. Well, basically all of Ephesians up to that point, but Ephesians 5 verse 1 tells them, be imitators of God as beloved children. So they are the beloved children of God. If you're a beloved child of God, that means you are a dwelling place of God, which means you have the Holy Spirit living in you. And so that is true for you and I today. And I think this is a really important foundation to begin with, because as we start to look at being filled with the Spirit, the power of God and His presence being very known and obvious amongst us and sending us out into the things that the Lord has for us, we don't start with an orphan heart of lack. I don't have God, and so I've got to try really hard. I've got to impress God so that He will send His Spirit amongst me. We come with peace and that He lives in us. And some of us today, we may have believed the lie that God is distant from us or that we are separated from him. Friends, we know scripture tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of God. That when Christ hung on the cross and cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was a representation, a picture of the fact that Jesus himself drank the cup dry so that we would never have to know the anger and the judgment of God because Jesus took it all for us. So we can be those that we can approach with a confidence. And so we come to Ephesians 5, and we come confidently knowing, firstly, he lives in us, he dwells in us, but secondly, there is this expectation that God lives in us, and the fruit of the Spirit will will bear fruit in us, will follow God's guiding and God's leading, will be those that enjoy relationship with him, we can hear his voice. But also, there is this other thread that runs throughout the Scriptures, not only just of God's dwelling, but of God's filling, of God's power. And so we see this in the Bible as well. Uh, Gordon Fee, a great commentator, a guy that knows the Bible very well, he calls it God's empowering presence. When we're talking about being filled with the Spirit, we're talking about knowing God's empowering presence. And we read uh, in, the, in the Old Testament, we see this kind of narrative that happens where the filling of the Spirit was for specific people at specific moments for specific reasons. So it wasn't open for everyone. It was for a select few. And so we read this in Exodus 31, verse three. It says, I filled him with the spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship. This is talking about a chap called Bezalel. What a great name. I feel like we should reinstigate that name. Never met anyone called Bezalel. I've been trying to persuade people uh, in our church that are pregnant to call their son Bezalel, but so far no one's been. Um, but he was called by God to help uh, build the tabernacle. And if you've read the book of Exodus, you see that the the kind of, Uh, the the instructions from God on how to build the tabernacle are very precise and actually are something that if you're going to do it, you're going to need some help. And so God sent the Holy Spirit and he filled Bezalel with the Spirit so that he would have the ability to follow the instructions of God to that level. We read this in Judges 14 verse 6. It says, Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. That's my uh, autobiography. uh, My early years what I used to do. Now, this is talking about Samson, who was one of the judges. Uh, He was one of the leaders of the people of Israel. And really, his leadership was found in his supernatural strength. He was a very strong man. A Philistine army is approaching. Don't worry, everyone. I'm going to pick up this goat skull, and I'm going to go and defeat them all. That was what Samson did. But the way that he found that strength Yes, was found in the fact he didn't cut his hair, that was a vow that his mother had made when he was born, but actually was because the Spirit of God would rush upon him to give him the supernatural strength, to empower him to be able to lead the people. So we see that the Spirit came upon Bezalel, came upon Samson, and we read this in 2 Chronicles 24 verse 20, it says, Then the Spirit of God clothed Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada the priest, and he stood above the people and said to them, Thus says God, why do you break the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Because you've forsaken the Lord, he has forsaken you. We see the Spirit of God clothing, coming upon, filling Zechariah to be able to speak the words of God, thus says the Lord. So there are three examples of many that you'll find in the Old Testament of where the Spirit of God would come upon specific people, specific moments, for specific reasons. But that was not God's plan forever. God's intent is not that that is how it will always be for the people of God. And so we read these promises In the Old Testament, Isaiah 44, verse 3, the Lord saying, I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. Listen, I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. There's this promise that you see in the scriptures that God wants to pour his spirit upon all people. He wants to allow his empowering presence, not just to come upon a select few, because they've got a select call, but upon all. Joel 2:28 it says it shall come to pass afterwards that i will pour my spirit on all flesh just touch your arm can you feel that flesh that means on all flesh that means you just in case you're thinking my arm doesn't feel like flesh perhaps this isn't me your sons and your daughters shall prophesy if you're a son or a daughter raise your hand that should be everybody your old men shall dream dreams. If you're not, no, really. uh, your young men shall see visions. You see here, the old and young. There's a promise that God is making that there will be a day when the Spirit won't just be the filling of the Spirit, the power of God, His empowering presence won't just be for a select few. That will be for all flesh, for sons and daughters, for old and young. That day is coming, and we see in the New Testament that those promises are fulfilled. They're firstly fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We see that when Jesus came, he didn't just take on flesh, God in his glory taking on flesh, but it tells us in the scriptures that he also became sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us. And that was so that he could deal with that which meant we were separated from God, that we couldn't know the dwelling of God in our lives, the indwelling of the Spirit, but we also couldn't know the filling of the Spirit, the power of God because of our sin. Jesus dealt with that. And what we see is that through his death, where he became no sin and took our punishment. Through his resurrection, where he sealed the victory, showing that he is who he said he was and he accomplished what he said he would accomplish. And then it says, as he ascended to heaven, he was glorified and he would pour out his spirit. And that's why we read in Acts 2 verse 4, the day of Pentecost, that first day where these promises were fulfilled, it says this, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. It wasn't just Peter. Peter's the one that stood up on that day and preached the gospel. If it was Old Testament, if it was before Christ, it may have been that the Spirit would have rushed upon Peter to allow him to speak and to lead, but it says that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. We don't even know the names of everyone that was in that upper room. We know that there was around 120 people, but we don't know all their names. And I love that. Those that we know and those that we don't know. Those that have public profile and those that operate in a more quiet way, all were filled with the Holy Spirit. And we often refer to this as baptism in the spirit, that power encounter that we can have, that just as when you first are converted and come to know Christ, then you can also have this moment where you know for the first time the empowering presence of God. It's an important, important doctrine. And it's one that actually our family of churches has been built upon. As Mick mentioned, uh, I've got the joy of being a relational mission community leader. relational mission is our family of churches as part of a bigger family of churches called New Frontiers. uh, And we hold very dearly. To this idea and to this doctrine, into this theology of the baptism in the Spirit, but actually we are those that can know a power and a fullness of life. But what's interesting is that I think sometimes the doctrine of the baptism in the Spirit can become a little bit unhelpful because it starts to play into the, I suppose, as I began, this second-class citizenship. Have you been baptized in the Spirit? Are you even a Christian? If you haven't, you know, if you can't remember that moment where you really met with God powerfully. And that becomes part of the journey and part of the challenge, particularly for those of us that haven't had that kind of experience in our lives. But even for those that have, one of the dangers is we can think, well, we've got it all. I've been baptised in the Spirit 20 years ago. I mean, I became a Christian when I was 15 years old, so it was 22 years ago. And I remember that day, I remember being filled with the Spirit, God giving me a prophetic picture that just convicted me of my sin. The Spirit of God rushed upon me, weeping. I can remember that, I'll remember that till the day I die, but God didn't come and fill me on that day so that then I could live off of the good of that moment for the rest of my life. Read these words in Acts 4, verse 31. It says, when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This is the same group as in Acts 2, apart from it's bigger now because of what happened on Pentecost, but it's the same group. They were gathering together and it says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So it's not just about a one-off encounter. Oh, many years ago I met with God and so I'm okay. No, it should be about an ongoing seeking after God. Why? Well, it was for them, it was so that they could continue to spread the word of God with boldness. Jesus said before he ascended, you will receive power. Why? To be my witnesses. We need the power of God on a daily basis to help us walk into the impossible call of God that he has over each one of our lives. And so when Paul says in Ephesians 5 verse 18, be filled with the spirit, he's not saying you should have one moment in your life where you get filled. The tense there is go on being filled. Go on being filled with the Spirit daily. Seek after the power of God to allow you to move into all that God has for you. And friends, that's the call of God over each one of us, that we are to be those that expect the filling of the Spirit to be a regular occurrence. Perhaps you're here today, and you are someone that has that testimony of the baptism in the Spirit, and it's dear to your heart. But maybe, maybe, your recollection of when you were last filled with the Spirit is one that you're racking your brains on. When was that? I can't really remember. Maybe you've never felt or known or experienced the power of God on your life. I believe that for all of us, it's not just about that external markers, something far deeper than that. But we should be able to know moments where we just knew God empowering us, his peace empowering us to walk in an in a age of anxiety, his joy empowering us in an age where depression is becoming more and more a, a known challenge and difficulty in this world. Uh, a strength to be able to endure when we're feeling weak. These are the things that we are expected to know. And so why do we need to be filled with the Spirit? I just want to end with these two questions and then we're going to give God some time to move. Often people will use this picture when they talk about being filled with the Spirit. It's like we are a cup that's got holes in And so, you know, we get filled with the Spirit. Perhaps you're going to get filled with the Spirit this morning. And then we all know life's hard, right? maybe even over lunch today, but probably more likely tomorrow when you're heading to work or you're interacting with people. People have a great ability to drain you, don't they? They pop you, Ah, oh, and then the spirit pours out of you. And so you kind of, oh, that's full, but now, oh, no, it's leaking out. Or maybe it's like we're a watering can and we get filled. And then as we do stuff, we're pouring out. And so, oh, we need fresh filling. Now, that picture I think is helpful to a degree, but I think it's unhelpful when we start to ground the filling of the spirit with the indwelling of the spirit what that starts to communicate is, if you're not careful, you could pour out all of the Spirit and you've got none left. That's not biblical. Actually, a picture that's far more helpful is a picture that Andrew Wilson, who's a great preacher, uses, which is of a sailboat, and that actually being filled with the Spirit is about positioning your sail to catch the wind to be able to move into what God's got for you. And that when you're out sailing, there's this dynamic of where sometimes the wind changes direction. And so you can't just put the sail in one place and sit back. Ah, you've got to keep watching and where it's going. I did sailing when I was in year six. I wasn't very good at it. This was partly why. I didn't realize there was work involved. Being filled with the Spirit, there is a work involved. There's a, there's a sensitivity to what God's doing, that we need to move our sails to allow us to catch the wind, to be propelled into that which God has for us. And I believe that every single one of us, this is God's will that we would know his power, and that we would move into what he has for us. So how can we be filled with the Spirit? That's the question, isn't it? What's the secret? Those of, those of you that have experienced the filling of the Spirit and the baptism of the Spirit, what's the secret? And sometimes we can slip into a trap here. Well, it's, it's very obvious. You just hold your hands out. You just want it. You know, If you don't have uh, an encounter with the filling of the Spirit, it's because you don't have faith. It's, these are all very dangerous places for us to head. And that's what I love about the Bible, is actually the Bible is incredibly practical and very filling. So there is obviously one way you can receive the filling of the Spirit is by the laying on of hands. That's why Paul writes to Timothy. He says, fan into flame the gifts that God put in you through the laying on of hands. There's this beautiful principle of where we can expect as we give God space, he'll move. But we also see it in the passage that we read in Ephesians 5, verse 18. It says these words. It says, firstly, don't get drunk with wine one of the ways we can be filled with the spirit is by ensuring that we are walking in purity by being a people that are seeking the heart of God and wanting to walk in the heart of God if you're here today and you want to be filled with the spirit and you know that there's things in your life that don't please the heart of God the first thing is repentance it's confession and repentance they 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 kind of not the most pleasant of words, are they? We're all terrified like repentance is going to be this horrifically embarrassing moment where you've got to like cry and talk to someone about something. And... But actually, there's this beautiful picture we see in the scripture that repentance is a way of opening ourselves up to be filled with the Spirit. What's really interesting is when you get filled with the Spirit, you know what often happens? You end up repenting. You realize, as God draws close, you realize the things in your life that you need to move and you need to change. So to be filled with the Spirit is about wanting to walk in purity and repenting of sin, but it's also as you're filled with the Spirit, you'll want to walk in purity and be filled with the Spirit. We see this. It says, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. If you want to be filled with the Spirit, sing. The people of God are a singing people. You cannot read the Bible and not see that singing is a key ingredient to the people of God throughout all that's going on. When Paul and Silas are in prison, what are they doing? They're singing and praying. That's when God moves and acts. The people of God, you see it throughout the story of the Bible, is that the people of God are a singing people. And so actually, one of the ways that we can be filled with the Spirit is just sing, just delight in God. Obviously, don't just sing random songs. Sing spiritual songs and hymns and, 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 you know, the songs that will point you towards Jesus. But you know what? As you're filled with the Spirit, you know what the overflow is? You want to sing. You want to delight in God. You want to worship him. You want to praise him. Giving thanks always, Thanksgiving. If you want to be filled with the Spirit, I think one of the biggest rocks, as we were praying before the service, Steve used the image of, you know, like a river flowing and that there's rocks that can block the river. One of the biggest rocks, I think, in our our age, in our time, is entitlement. I think we just assume that we deserve everything, so we're not thankful for anything. And I think entitlement begins to rob you of recognizing your need for the power of the Spirit. I don't need God's empowering presence. I can do all things. Forget the next part, through Christ who strengthens me. I can just do it. I'm amazing. Now, actually, we want to be those that position ourselves, giving thanks. But again, as you're filled with the Spirit, do you know what will happen? What's the overflow? Thanksgiving. Isn't it incredible that God wants to fill us with his Spirit? Not only does he live in us and help us know intimacy and joy of that relationship and fruit of that relationship, but he also wants to empower us to be able to go and do what he's calling us to do. It says here, um, finally, submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ. Do you want to be filled with the Spirit? Submit your life to Christ. Submit your life. You notice there, it's to one another, but it's out of reverence for Christ. We start by submitting our lives to Jesus. Maybe some of us, we know God's calling us into things, but we don't want to go that way. I don't want to do that. That's too much work. I'm quite enjoying where I am at the moment. Stagnation is never a good thing in the people of God. That was, that was why they spent so long in the wilderness after they came out of slavery, was because they were like, oh, well, we could go into that land where there's giants and it looks quite difficult, or we could stay here where there's no giants. Let's stay here. I think that's wired in us. We, we, we Sometimes we get complacent. Let's submit our lives. Let's ensure we're those that are open to God's leading and where God's leading, and let's submit to one another. Invite people to speak into your life. Come under godly leadership and allow them to help you grow. Friends, we are those That are the temple of the Spirit of God. That God dwells in us. Today, know that. Be confident in the fact that you are a beloved child of God if you're in Christ. He's won that privilege for you. So now you are a temple of the Spirit. Where you go, the Spirit of God is because He dwells in you. But He also wants to fill you with His power for that which He's calling you to. And so we want to give a bit of time to that. We want to give some space for God to move and act. And so what we're going to do is wait on God and see what he wants to do. I've got no plans here. I have nothing written down for this part. So we'll see what God wants to do. What is the time? How long have we got? A couple of hours. An elder's wife has said it, so it must be. They're the real ones that lead the church.